This is a special Walker Cup episode from the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. The finest amateurs from Great Britain, Ireland, and the United States will face each other on May 8th and 9th at one of the most iconic golf clubs in the world. We know the teams, but a certain mystique surrounds the venue, Seminole Golf Club. In the next few weeks, you'll hear stories from Seminole members, former Walker Cup captains, USGA officials, and other special guests. These are the Seminole Sessions, a preview to the 2021 Walker Cup match. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. Good morning and welcome back to the Seminole Sessions here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg. It's Tuesday of Walker Cup week. Cannot wait to get back to Seminole for the pinnacle of amateur golf. So my guest on this episode doesn't have a ton of experience in and around Seminole Golf Club. He won't be sharing any stories about the club, his extensive experience playing the course, but but he's a guy that has fought his way through some ups and downs to earn his spot on the GBNI squad this year. I've run into him many times, whether it be at the Jones Cup or the SMU Invitational at Trinity Forest, and yes, he's even been to Merido. John Murphy left his home country of Ireland to play collegiate golf at the University of Louisville. Yes, I'm thinking the same thing as you are. He left Irish whiskey for Kentucky bourbon. That was my first thought. Maybe no one else thought that. All right, I need to edit edit this part out. Anyway, moving on. John has had an incredible journey in the game that has led him all the way to the Walker Cup. And while you might already know the stars of the U.S. squad like Cole Hammer and John Pock and Stu Hagestad, pay attention to Murphy this weekend at Seminole. And by the way, you can't miss him. Bright reddish orange hair. We talked about that as well in the episode. This is a fun one. Let's get into it. John, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's been a dream of mine to be in your to be in your podcast. Well, I'm no. glad I fi- I'm glad I finally made it. Well, but trying to butter up the host. I mean, look, you know, you're, <laughs> let's. I mean, let's just clear the air. You're on the GB and I team, and I'm an American, so I wish you well. But you know, I'm rooting for the U.S. on the World uh, Cup. But but that's uh, what I was getting at. I, I was trying I, to get I, one more on our side. I, I saw what you were doing, but that's okay. I don't blame <laughs> you. Uh, well, since we talked about it, congrats to, to being named. To the GBNI squad, I can't imagine um, what that is like, and the 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 chain of events that has occurred for you in the last, I guess, two or three years. We will kind of get in and provide a timeline to the listeners, uh, so they can kind of understand where I'm going with this, because it is fascinating. From 2018 to 2021, the ups and downs and everything that's occurred. Um, but my listeners here at the back of the range are just, you know laser sharp highly intelligent people and right now they're saying wait a minute this guy's got an accent that's different so um so let's talk a little bit about your start in the game um you are you're irish you're from kinsale so so people that may not know kinsale talk to me about it where did you grow up where'd you get into the game of golf yes so i as you said i grew up in it's just a small town called kinsale down the south of ireland it's uh pretty much as Irish a town as you could imagine it's on the harbor um you know it's it's a really nice place everybody there is very friendly and welcoming and it was just a really really great atmosphere to grow up in um yeah I suppose I didn't take up the game of golf well I sorry I went out one day with uh, one of my friends Gary Ward uh when I was about 12 years old but to be honest I didn't really play it properly until I was 15 or 16 um that's when I really kind of started to 
started to get into it. I played a lot of other sports and I, I picked up an injury when I was around that age. And the only sport I could really play without a lot of pain was uh, was golf. So I kind of just gave it my, my undivided attention for a while. And when I was 15, 16, 17, I started to get a good bit better. I still wasn't good enough to compete probably at a Division One level. So I went to college in Ireland for a year. And during that year of college in Ireland, I thankfully, um, you know, started to play well and won a couple of tournaments. And uh, the assistant coach at Louisville at the time, Aaron O'Callaghan, offered me a spot basically on the team at that time. And um, because I loved Ireland so much and because I really enjoyed where I was, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to come over and, you know, have a new change of scenery and a new culture. And I, I was afraid I'd miss my family and miss home. But uh yeah, thankfully, Aaron gave me that opportunity and I came over and, you know, I, I haven't really looked back since. It was definitely the best decision I've ever made. So, um, yeah, I'm very thankful that I got the opportunity. So, it's you know, when I'm around collegiate players here and junior golfers here in the United States, you know, the story that I hear most often is, and I've heard people getting into the game a little bit later, you know, 13, 14, 15, but for the most part, I hear, yeah, I started playing with, you know, my dad or I got, you know, dropped off at the course when I was seven years old and it just golf, golf, golf. And a lot of structured, uh, you know, a lot of structured practice time, instruction, playing in junior tournaments and really checking off every box and progressing. So it sounds to me that you really, I mean, did you have formal instruction? How did you actually progress and get better between 15 and you know, 17 and 18 to even get noticed by a, a school in Ireland? Um, yeah, I suppose my coach uh, back home, Ian Stafford, you know, I he, he kind of saw, I suppose, a potential in me, but um, I, I never really gave golf my full attention. So when I was about 15, he, I remember he called me into the back of, funnily enough, the back of his range. Back one of night. the range there, idiots. And that's uh, <laughs> And uh, called me in and said, look, um, I have to do a player profile on a player and, you know, I'm going to have to spend a lot of hours with a player over winter. And, you know, he, he was coaching a lot of really good players at the time, but thankfully he saw something in me and saw potential and asked me if I wanted to do it. And uh, I said, yeah, of course. So over that over that winter, I really put in a lot of work. Um, I was playing off handicap of, I'd say, six six when i was uh 15 okay. and then over or yes yeah, sorry no when i was 16 i was playing off handicap of six and then over that winter from 16 to 17 i i think i dropped a scratch that year and i uh you know i, I started to compete in a few a few um high level boys events in ireland and you know i started to get my name out there a bit but i do agree i mean there's so many people that would have been you know i always say it, when i was 15 or 16 starting off at these events i used to just be in awe of the people that were around me and how much better they were than me. And, you know, I'd finish my round and go back and find the good players and go watch them play. Um, so I really just wasn't competitive at all at, at that stage. So um, I suppose I'm very lucky and, and thankful that I have been able to progress at such a level because I know that it's not common. And, you know, I know a lot of people that I would have played at at that age who don't play the game anymore. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm very thankful that I got the opportunity to keep playing and that, you know, Ian offered me the opportunity to to coach me that winter and uh, help me progress to another level. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm certainly lucky to be in the position I'm in. Now, I, I kind of preface this by, by this is something I ask a lot of guests, and I say that, hey, there's a lot of parents uh, of junior golfers that listen to this podcast. There's a lot of juniors that listen to this podcast, and you're, you're kind of speaking about something that I definitely want to hit upon. 
you made this massive improvement, you know, six shots. I mean, if you're shooting in the 90s, you can take six pretty quickly off your your handicap by, you know, getting around the, you know, having a better short game and managing your game better. At at that level, you can drop six pretty quick. But when you're a six handicap going from six to scratch, that's that's pretty incredible. So what part of your game did you really tackle to get yourself down to scratch from six? Yeah, j- just thinking about it, I think uh, I, I, certainly I got a lot stronger with my long game. You know, I was always pretty coordinated, and I could I could get the ball around or up and down around the greens. But uh, just my long game, I you know that's kind of that's where the best players in the world make their make up their ground is you know off the tee into the greens approach play, and that's where that's where they make their money. And uh, so I just kind of tried to brush up on everything. And uh, as you were saying about parents, you know, thankfully my, my parents were very supportive of me and they gave me everything I needed, but they never pushed me to do anything. So all of this work that I was doing was, you know, completely on my own accord. I really wanted to do all of this. I wanted to get better. And I would have played a lot with these kids that I was telling you about that were a lot better than me at that age. And their parents were probably forcing them to do a lot more than yeah. what my parents were forcing me to do at that age. And I think in the end, they they kind of fell out of love with the game and they just felt too much parental pressure to continue. So I think that's one thing that's that's very important for parents is to, you know, allow the kids to to do the work themselves and not force it upon them because it makes the game so much more enjoyable and it makes you, it, it makes I suppose it um, makes you want to get better yourself as opposed to feeling like you have to get better. And that's something that I found very beneficial for me. And it's something I would encourage all parents to. And obviously, you know, there's going to be exceptions where the likes of Tiger Woods, you know, we saw how, how um, his father kind of forced everything upon him. And there's obviously going to be exceptions like that. But I feel like kids are just going to enjoy the game a lot more and have a much better time if there isn't that uh, pressure on top of them all the time. Well said. Well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Louisville is where you've uh, uh, played your collegiate golf and won numerous awards. We'll talk about the Byron Nelson Award in a little bit. But before we uh, you know cross the pond over to the United States, I, I do need to ask a question here. You are basically, as you mentioned, Kinsale, small small town, but you're 20 minutes away from Old Head. Where now that people are listening right now, they're thinking this is like the number one golf. Well, there's a lot of number one courses, I guess you could say in Ireland, but, um, but old head, anyone that's ever done an Irish golf vacation or an Ireland golf trip and put together the the list of courses that they got to hit, um, you know, there's Lahinch and then, um, you know, there's probably a few others, you know, kill, uh, let's see, kill Carney and old head, I guess, are the ones that really come to mind. But you've played this course as if it's almost kind of a pseudo home track. Um, what other courses besides Old Head? I mean, if, if you're bringing me over for a week of golf, which we know it's going to happen, but you know, we're we're playing a week of golf in Ireland. Where are we playing besides Old Head? What else do we need to do? Be my tour guide. Oh, uh, Tralee is another one. You see, everybody talks about the you know the likes of Port Rush and uh, Royal County Down, the ones that host the Irish Opens and sure. the British Opens or whatever, but. I think the old head, as you said, and truly, you know, they don't host events. They don't host Irish Opens. You know, they're very kind of hidden and, and underrated. And uh, they're certainly the two I'd start off at. They're, they're probably my two favorites. And then we'd probably have to take a trip up north to, to really see the rest of them because, I mean, Port Rush is too good an opportunity to miss out on in Royal County Down. And there's another hidden one up there, Ballyliffin. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I have. That, I have. That's another gem up there. So, um but I mean, ideally, I'd like to have you over for a couple of weeks. We could get we could get around the whole coast because you know, if you're going to play golf in Ireland, you'd want to play you'd want to play Lynx golf and uh, experience a lot of it. And 
you know, there's a lot of good points of Guinness around the country, so I'll have to show you all them oh, as well. Oh, see, see, this is good. Now I'm starting to now I'm starting to lean back over to the GB and I side for the water. <laughs> You're doing a hell of a job. Now listen, I hit the ball really, really high and just have way too much spin on my wedges. That's really good for Ireland, isn't it? Uh, spin on your wedges is pretty good. Yeah, the, the greens are firm. I don't know about hitting it high, though. That's, uh, th that could be a problem, depending on where you are, but it's nothing we couldn't solve in a couple of lessons. Okay, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So you make you make it over to Louisville. Now, I just, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about you go from a land known for its whiskey to a university in an area that's known for its bourbon. So did you, what did you know about Louisville other than the fact that it's, hey, this is in the United States, this is an incredible opportunity, but what did you know about Louisville, Kentucky? Honestly, nothing. My my <laughs> roommate, I, I didn't even come on a visit. The only thing I knew I, I knew was pictures of my roommate now and, and one of my best friends, Devin. He's Devin Morley. He's been here all four years with me, but he came a year earlier than I did. So uh, he, you know, showed me pictures and he was telling me it was great, but I literally knew nothing. Um I knew, you know, I knew that the facilities were pretty good. I knew it snowed over winter, all those kind of basic, to, to those basic details, but nothing to, uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly didn't know as much as I probably should have. And um, I kind of wish I was able to come on a visit, but, you know, in the end of the day, it probably wouldn't have changed anything. I would have said yes either way. So um, it was certainly a risk I was willing to take at the time. You know, I figured to myself, worst case scenario is I really don't like it and I can, I can go back after a few months, but I'm very, very thankful that I decided to come over because it's uh, it's an incredible place. It's you know the university is filled with with great people, and it's a perfect or it's a perfect environment for me to get better in. So I'm I'm very glad that I'm here. Now I'm not sure I know your your uh, what is your degree in? I know you're in your fifth year senior now, but what is your degree? Is it marketing or business? Is it? Yeah, I, I I got a degree in marketing, and now I'm I'm doing a, a minor in sports administration this year. So I decided to uh, to try and ease the stress levels in terms of school this year. You know, I was uh, I was asking my academic advisor to to put me in the easiest classes possible, and thankfully, thankfully he did a good job of that. So <laughs> I'd be I'd be lying if I said there was a lot of college work going on right now. Well, you have a lot of other things you're focusing on, but you go from yeah. an environment where really you're just kind of three or four years into the game, and then now you're playing at a Division One school where things are pretty regimented. I mean, you have, you know, at the time you got you got grades that you got to make, and there's travel, and there's daily competition. What was the biggest thing that you had to adjust to? Um, you know, I mean, culturally, obviously, it's, it's a different country and different people you're meeting from all walks of life, but... What was maybe the the one of the unique things about actually where it took your game as far as okay maybe I wasn't approaching the game in the right way but now that I'm here in this you know I've coaching I've I've teammates um, how did that change your approach to the game You know when I, when I first came over honestly I, like I wasn't even making our lineup at the start I was I, I was struggling with my game and I didn't make the lineup for. I think the first four or five events and then it got to spring and I was still struggling a little bit, but I was still making the lineup and, um, you know, I, I was there playing with the likes of Scotty Scheffler and a few other really good players that year. And it, it just kind of made me realize that I went from being a big fish in a small pond yeah. to a small fish in a big pond pretty quickly. And that was something that was tough to adjust to because, you know, I was enjoying contending in every event I played in and whatnot. And then I was going to events over here my first year and I was finishing 25th or 30th on a decent week. So that was one thing that I found tough to adjust to. Like, you know, now I'm at the place where I'm confident that if, if I, if I'm playing pretty decent, I'm going to be 
close to the top and um that's something that i didn't feel at all at the start you know i felt like my decent weeks were finishing 25th and that just wasn't really fun for me i i always enjoy that that competitive edge and being able to to be in contention but then um i suppose the the main difference when i noticed it was when i went back to to uh, great britain for a summer of golf in 2018 i was 14th reserve for the british amateur at the time and uh the st andrews Lynx trophy was on the week before and i actually signed up for the st andrews Lynx trophy with a couple hours to go just thinking i'm probably not going to get in but i'll give it a go and as it turned out the golfing union of ireland had a had an exemption to that event and um they gave that exemption to me and i went over i think i was ranked a thousand and the cutoff in the world for that event was 400 and i actually ended up going over and winning it so yeah. that was kind of a <laughs> That, that was kind of a big breakthrough for me uh, at, at the end of my first year of college. You know, that's when I kind of realized, okay, this this is working. My game is elevating because certainly this time last year, this wouldn't have been an event that I was able to contend at. Um, so that's kind of when I realized that it, that it really was clicking. And then the next week I got into the British Amateur as the 14th reserve and I got to the quarterfinals. I think I had a few nice nice scalps along the way. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, th- those couple of weeks gave me, gave me a lot of confidence and kind of realized that, made me realize that my game had elevated a lot since I went over. So now we're going to kind of start talking about that timeline that I referenced a little bit in the beginning. So I'm glad you, you led me right into to the summer of 2018. As you said, you win the St. Andrews Lynx Trophy, which I know is a phenomenal tournament where you're playing the new course and you're playing the old course. Um, which Now, I've played both of those. Which course do you like better? Um. I mean, it's it's hard to to go against the old course, just the whole aura of it, and you know, standing on the first tee, and I just have such great memories from it. You know, going down, I, I played a playoff in the St Andrews Links Trophy that time, and you know, that just it brings back great memories. So I'm going to have to go for the old course. But the new, but the new is pretty darn good, isn't it? It is, yeah. The, the new and the Jubilee are two courses there, right next to the old, that are very, very kind of uh, underrated, and the two of them have, have great layouts. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to play them at some point. Jubilee is, I've played the Jubilee, I think once or twice, and it is without a doubt, probably the hardest one I think there. I, I, yeah. yeah. That, that, Absolutely. that course is a, just a pain in the ass. I, yeah. I don't need to play that one again. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell them to cut the rough for you the next time you're there. It's not just that. It's like you hit it in places and like you can't, there's nothing you can do. I don't know. I just, I, I felt <laughs> like I was just like, all right, now where do you hit it? I, I don't, I just, yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. I wasn't a big fan of that place. Um, so, so tw- you have this great summer 2018. And I'm guessing that that's right about the time that it kind of puts you on, at least on some sort of a watch list of making the Walker Cup team in 19 at Hoylake. So, I could be wrong, but, or, you know, you walk me through or explain to me, were you, you know, were you reasonably close to making the team in 19? Yeah. So the summer of 2018, you know, every, uh, every other year, um, it's that there's a biennial tournament and it's called the St. Andrews Trophy, which is Great Britain and Ireland against the rest of Europe. Right. So that's, that, that's basically the Walker Cup of the, the even years, we'll say. And I, I made that team in 2018. And then most of those guys turned professional going into 2019. So, I mean, there was nine of us on the team. Most of them turned professional. So there was only two or three of us left amateurs. And, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself going into 2019, I mean, I, that if this team was picked right now, I'd, I'd be on this team. I mean, there's right. there's there's probably no two ways about it. Um, so then, you know, I kind of, I, I remember just 
the the start of 2019 kind of it started off okay you know i was playing a few college events finishing 10th 15th 20th you know all that uh, there was a re- we hosted a regional i finished 10th in a really good field um and then i think a big mistake that i made was uh i i played the Brabazon trophy which is the english amateur um i think maybe two days after or three days after we finished our regional or sorry our national championship at the blessings right so i just rushed from you know from the blessings back to Louisville, packed up all my stuff, went straight from there to Dublin Airport, went straight from Dublin Airport to Leeds, where the where the Brabazon was on. Had no time to practice or see my coach or, you know, debrief after the national championship. So um, I think that's a big mistake that I made. And, you know, I was just so eager to play everything. And I think another problem that I had was I was so focused on the Walker Cup and I was thinking, OK, if I can finish here in this event and here in this event, right. I can... I can make this team, but you know, in the end of the day, good golf takes care of everything. So I'm, I'm very glad that I was able to kind of learn from that lesson. And, um, yeah. So at the end of that year, when things weren't going my way, I kind of had a debrief with my coach and, you know, we worked a lot on mindfulness and just being present and not, not thinking about too many things at once and, you know, just staying in the moment. And that's something that's, it's very cliche, but it's something that I've carried into my game. And I think it's, it's certainly done me a lot of good. So since you got the right call about the Walker Cup in 2021, uh, I have to ask, what was the call that you received that told you you weren't on the team in 19? Was that pretty much the most brutal call you've ever gotten? No, I t- to be honest, I didn't even get a call. I, uh, okay. I and, and I didn't expect to get a call either. I just said, you know, I, I wasn't even... I would say I wasn't even close to getting on the team in 2019 in the end because I went to St. Andrews, missed the cut, went to British Amateur, missed the cut, Got went it. to went to the European Amateur, missed the cut. And I mean, after that, there was literally no chance I was no making chance. the team. So I just kind of, you know, that that summer was certainly really tough. Um, I, I realized after the European Amateur, that was my last chance to, to you know, maybe make my way back onto the team. And I remember then I, I even went back to an event in Ireland and I was like, all right, I'm just going to play in a weaker field here. It's a match play tournament. It's called the North of Ireland um i'm just going to play in it and you know try try being contention again and get back to where i feel i i can gain some confidence and you know the top 64 make it to match play just out of you know regular irish amateurs and i missed the cut and i just remember after that you know it was a year on from when things were going so well for me and i just remember sitting in the car with my parents after and just being so frustrated and you know my pressure or my parents obviously feeling sorry for me you know they, they weren't putting any pressure on me or right, anything but i just right. remember being 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 so frustrated and you know saying to my mom i don't know if i can if i can continue to do this you know it, it, things were just going going so badly that summer that i just really wasn't enjoying it um but then you know a couple of days went on and you know my, my parents were obviously very helpful and I, I went and had a chat with my coach and after a couple of days i kind of just realized look i'm, I'm just i'm being a baby here like you know there's <laughs> the, there's two ways i could look at this i could either you know, try and learn from this and um, try and, you know, work my way out of this or I could sit back and feel sorry for myself because in the end of the day, like, no, I, nobody cares, you know, nobody cares except for your parents and those closest to you. Nobody cares if you're missing cuts and nobody cares if you're feeling sorry for yourself, you know, nobody's going to, nobody else is going to feel sorry for you. So right. um, might as well just try and try and work your way out of it and, and try to take any positive you can and go from there. So that's what I did. I just went back to the drawing board and um, worked my, my way out of a few bad habits that I had. And the end of that summer was actually, it, it's certainly not my biggest win, but it's, I think it was one of my most important because it was called the Mullingar Scratch Trophy. And uh, it's won, but it was won by, you know, Paul McGinley, Padre Carrington, Roy McElroy, Shane Lowry. They've all got their names on that. And it's a really big tournament in Ireland. 
And I went to that at the end of the summer and it was right after I had that debrief, that debrief with my coach about staying present. And I just remember the full, the full week I was just fully engaged and fully in the moment and just cleared my mind of everything. And I ended up winning it by a shot, um, which was at the time for me, that was fairly, fairly, you know, monumental and really yeah. got things cha- changed and uh, got me ready to come back to college and feel like I was ready to compete again and felt like I was in the right frame of mind to be able to carry my game into, into a college season. Well, your your turnaround and your the I mean we've talked about these massive improvements in your game. You know, going from a six handicap to scratch when you're uh, you know still in Ireland, and you know you you mentioned your freshman year at Louisville with a you had a scoring average of about seventy four, and you know you're the owner of the lowest uh, you know scoring lowest season scoring average in Louisville history at about sixty nine and change. So there's another five shot swing in a mat- manner of three or four years. So. You go through, like you said, you have a great summer in 18, not great summer in 19, and now we get to 2020. And, well, first of all, I'm thinking that after 2019, you're thinking probably, okay, I'm not going to be able to play in a Walker Cup team because I'm I'm guessing you know, you're probably considering a, a career playing professionally. So you're thinking, okay, you know, yeah. I missed out on that. I'm going to play my senior year at Louisville, and then off I go. And now the season shuts down. So, um you're in 2020, and I guess this is a question that I would ask any GB&I hopeful in 2020. But a lot of if you're not in the states going to school, you're in you know in, you're in the UK, and I know in the winter time you're going to you know South Africa, Portugal to play uh, amateur tournaments. But in 2020 with lockdown, I know you returned to Ireland, and you're basically doing you know home not homeschooling, but you're doing. Um, uh, you know, a virtual learning, I guess, through University of Louisville. How do you even contemplate your golf career in 2020 when you're, A, not in the United States, you're not playing college golf? How do you keep your head screwed on straight when there's no certainty anywhere? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a strange time, but you know what? It was actually, it was, I think I came back to uh, the the. United States in mid-July to play I think the Western Amateur was my first event back but that stretch between March and and July was honestly so enjoyable for me um, really just I, I went back home and everything had just been moving at such a ridiculous pace for me you know life from the age of 17 to to 21 I suppose was just so quick and um, it was just going by so so fast so I went back in March and I, you couldn't do anything at home it was just me my family and then, you know, April, May, I was able to start seeing my friends and stuff. And just that few months for me was just honestly so, so relaxing and so nice. And I, I accepted when it, when it was March, I just accepted I'm probably not going to play any competitive golf for four months. So I'm going to do what I can in the garden to stay on top of things. And I'm going to try hit balls into the net out the back or whatever. But um, I just accepted the fact that I wasn't going to be playing competitive golf anytime soon. So I'm just going to. I'm just going to enjoy being where I am and enjoy spending time with my family, which I don't get to do a lot, and then get to see my friends, which, you know, I was able to... It, I was in a daily routine of when the courses opened back up and there was still no competitive golf, but I was in a daily routine of I'd go out in the morning, practice, um, pretty much from maybe 10 till 4, we'll say, and then in the evening I'd I'd call to my friend's house and then I'd go back to my parents for the evening, and it was just it was a really enjoyable and comfortable routine, which... I haven't really had the opportunity to do the last few years. So that, that few months was certainly very enjoyable for me and kind of just just uh, made me kind of slow down life and appreciate things a little bit more. And I was very glad I did get the opportunity to do that. I think that's what a lot of people uh, were, were 
either forced to do and probably didn't get the enjoyment out of it that you did. But yeah, it sounds like you basically were able to hit the reset button and sit back and, and look at life and, and probably not get as stressed out as a lot of other people were. Yeah. And it, it also gave you a bigger appreciation, I think, for being able to play competitive golf. You know, when you don't have it, you miss it a lot. Oh, yeah. And it certainly made me enjoy it a lot more. You know, the fact that the fact that we had to go a few months without it certainly kind of increases your appetite for it. So that's uh that's another positive I was able to take from it. Now, obviously you get the call that, you know, you have this, you win two tournaments in your senior season, and then you learn that you're going to be provided if you so choose an extra year of eligibility, since you lose the opportunity to compete in the national championship in 2020. So obviously you, you head back and you're currently, uh, I mean, gosh, you're getting ready to take off in a couple of days to go down to college station to play the uh, Texas A&M tournament. So you're, you're right in the middle of a collegiate season and, um, you know, the, the U.S. team is pretty much announced, oh gosh, I think it was February 5th, 7th, something like that, they announced the team. And truthfully, you know, I like to consider myself someone that's pretty knowledgeable about amateur golf and, and the Walker Cup. And I had a lot of people asking me about, hey, so, you know, is the Walker Cup going to happen? Uh, when are they going to name the teams? How are they going to do this? So, yeah, they named the U.S. team right after, um, you know, pretty much right after the Jones Cup. And... Um, I don't really know what was going on with the GB&I squad. So I don't know how much you can tell me and share with listeners, but what was, I guess, the last three months like for you? Were you pretty much just, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know when I'm going to get a call. Like, how did you, how did you stay patient in those three months, not knowing if you'd make the team? Yeah, honestly, just kind of what I touched on earlier about just, you know, I couldn't control what's, what the selectors were going to do or anything else or how everybody else was playing. I was just trying my best to, to stay present and do whatever I could. And, you know, I knew that there was going to be certain events where that were going to be very important. And um, I just tried to put that to the back of my mind. You know, I, I knew going to the Jones Cup that that was going to be a, a pretty important event. And, uh, you know, I, I shot, I think, I think I bogeyed seven of my last eight holes in the first round and realized that I was, you know, I was in 50th place and, Things weren't going very well, but uh, I, I shot even in the second day in that downpour, and then I shot two under the last the last round and moved my way up to sixth by the end of it. So I was very, um, I suppose I was very satisfied that, you know, I I kind of then realized, okay, I have learned from my mistakes. You know, I, I didn't get too caught up in the moment, and I didn't start thinking about, oh, I have to do this to make Walker Cup. I just stayed present and stayed patient and thankfully got got a sixth-place finish out of that in, in what I would have considered was a, pr- a pretty bad week i was able to climb my way back up to sixth and you know that was pretty important i think in terms of the definitely in terms of the selection um and then you know i had a, I had a very bad week that week you were there actually in um, trinity forest in dallas was a, a few weeks before right. i knew that the team i knew that the team was getting selected in a few weeks when i was at that and i knew that the next couple of events would, would be really important and i just had a disaster uh at that tournament in one in one of the rounds and um i you know i think i finished around 40 seconds and i was like okay that's certainly kind of inhibited my my chances here i'm gonna have to uh <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna have to do something here but then the next you know i, I just went back and i didn't uh, i didn't panic i didn't you, you know i certainly kind of just stayed present and just went back to the to the drawing board and i knew i was playing well enough to to uh shoot good scores and then next week we went down to the general hackler down in um down in south carolina in myrtle beach and you know again i didn't at any point put any pressure on myself or feel the need to to press or get impatient i just stayed present and just let my golf do the talking and you know i birdied the last to get into a tie for the lead and i thought i was i was almost gonna 
um, going to get a win out of it, but I ended up coming second, and that was the week before I knew that the team was being picked, and you know that was certainly another very big result. So I'm, the, those two weeks really kind of um, solidified for me that I had learned from my mistakes and that I had grown as a player and matured, and uh, they were very, they were certainly very satisfying weeks for me to be able to to bounce back and um, and show that I deserved a spot in the team. So I'm glad I was able to do that. So you get the call uh, that um, that you're on the team. Who's the first person you call after that? After you learn the news yourself, who's the first person you call? It was it was a really weird time because I was in the middle of a tournament and I was just off the the phone to my parents and uh, then they went to bed and then I checked my emails and I I got an email from the captain who had been trying to ring me that day because I was in the middle of a tournament but right. I didn't see the missed calls so I read the email and then went to ring my parents but my parents had gone to sleep and. I was just so like, oh my gosh! I I was just so c- c- kind of, I, I just really wanted to tell somebody. I really wanted them to could have called to, me. You know, Why didn't you call me? Yeah, sorry, because <laughs> because we, we we were told not to tell anybody, but uh, okay, but, that's but fine. Our, that's fine. But, but our immediate family and you know, I know you pretty well by now, but not that well yet. I, would I say, understand. I understand. Maybe someday. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, certainly I was just, I was really egging to tell somebody and um, it was, it was a, it was a nervous wait the next morning. You know, I actually surprisingly slept really well that night. I thought I would have, um, uh, I thought I would have struggled to get to sleep or whatever, but I just played it 36 whole days. So maybe that just knocked me out. But, oh yeah. Yeah. The adrenaline uh, the, just faded out and you were done. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the next day, you know, I, I called my parents in the morning. I was obviously excited to tell them. And thankfully, um, you know, a lot of people back home in Kinsale have shown, I've shown abundant support for me since that. You know, I've been, um, I've got no pouring of texts and calls from people back home. So I'm very glad that uh, that I was able to make people people happy back home because certainly it's a tough time there right now and they're still in lockdown. And uh, I was glad to be able to bring some good news. Are Are your parents going to be able to come over for the Walker Cup or no? No, unfortunately not. Uh, there's just there's no way into into the USA right now with um, just with you know COVID obviously and and whatnot it's tough to get a visa to even get in here so uh, unfortunately they're not going to be able to make it but I know, I know you know they've gone to everything they possibly could have over the years and I know it's going to it's going to kill them it's going to be difficult for me not to have them here but um, yeah certainly there'll be plenty of events down the road that I'm hoping they'll get to go to and, and witness so but yeah certainly it, there's no show recording it it would have been nice to, to have them here oh, yeah. but that's all right we'll, we'll get over it yeah, that's uh, that's that's what we got television for. So I'm sure they'll be watching. Absolutely, uh, they'll be watching. Um, so I'm sure uh, everyone listening understands that the Walker Cup this year, um, you know, Walker Cup is going to be at Seminole Golf Club, and I know you have uh, stopped by and played a couple rounds. And uh, I I truly don't know if this golf course really benefits anyone on the u.s side or the gbni side it's kind of on an island by itself with just a lot of mystique and it just has so many it's such a challenging course what are your immediate thoughts of seminole and how it will how it fits your game um yeah i mean as you said it's it, i'm not sure it's, it's really suited for anybody's game it's just such a such a unique golf course and um i don't think I don't think seeing it on TV or anything will do it justice. I mean, you kind of have to be there and experience it to to really to really see what it's about and to to get a grasp for how amazing it is. But yeah, it's you know it, it'll all depend on I suppose the wind that'll have a big impact on how the course plays. Uh, I played it. I played there three times, and every time I played a completely different wind. One one time I hit. Uh, driver to sixteen, the the par four. Uh, I I was able to drive the green one day, and then 
the very next day, or sorry, no, two days later, I played it and I hit driver five iron to the same hole. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's just a completely different golf course depending on the wind. So, um, it, I think that'll have a lot to do with it. And obviously, around the greens is going to be very challenging and tricky. And I mean, if anything, that probably will realistically play into the hands of the of the Americans. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But I mean, I think there's six of us here that are playing college golf in America that have gotten the feel for that style of golf now. So. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly there's uh, there's no denying that we will be underdogs going into the going into the match. But I'm certainly looking forward to the challenge of that. And you know, I'm, individually, I, I wouldn't be afraid to to stand up against anybody on the team on the on the first tee. So I'm looking forward to being the underdog and to to uh, trying to turn a few heads down there. I, I'm sure that you'll have no no doubt. And, and you just mentioned turning heads. Now, I, I, you know, I think I know the answer to this. But true or false? Did you did you decide on Louisville because it matched your red hair, or is that just a rumor I'm hearing? That's, <laughs> no, that was that, that was actually a drawback for me. You know, it, it clashes. It clashes. I don't know if you noticed the uniform, but it's a little um, bit darker red, and yours yeah. got a little bit of the orange tinge to it. And yeah, yeah, I've 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 always I've always worn blue, and you know, I, I did know that Kentucky was blue, and you know, I, I couldn't do that there's yeah that's not there's too much of a rivalry there so uh we might need to edit that out i don't think i can let you go on record by talking about (laughs) you can't do that (laughs) but uh and and the thing with this walker cup you know all both teams get just outfitted with everything i mean you get first of all you gotta get fitted for your for your jacket for the opening ceremony but you guys get you know trousers and pullovers and vests and shirts and hats and visors but you can't wear any hats and visors because you know hey you're a marketing major you understand that you can't you can't cover up the hair i mean you can't do that i know i know i was thinking the same thing but i mean i you gotta brand yourself man i mean you're gonna be entering the pro ranks you gotta think smart okay Maybe the visor now that you say it. I haven't thought of that one yet. I haven't thought of exposing the hair up top, but we'll see. I might have to look into that. I, you know, I, I think you need to kind of test that out. And now's the time to do it because <laughs> if you need something different, you need to get on the horn and tell them like, hey, the, look, this is uh, – by the way, I'm, yeah. I'm John Murphy. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> let them know who you are and then say, this isn't going to work for me. So Yeah, maybe, maybe. I might have to, I might have to give that a go. So you, I got a now a little, one of my insiders, uh, former guest on the podcast, his but goes by the name of Serge Hogue, and he is a caddy at Seminole. And I'll just get mainly he's wearing one of my face masks, and he's like in the airport, and he'll send me a picture of it. So I get all sorts of weird pictures, but you know, I'm I'm getting this picture from from Serge, and it's him, no surprise, wearing one of my masks, and it's you, and I'm like, oh dear God. Serge has kidnapped John Murphy. What's where, you know, did he take him to a racetrack? Are they at a casino? What happened? Cause you know, I barely trust Serge on his own. Um, so, so did he loop for you at Seminole or did you just meet him? Like, talk to me about this. No. So he didn't even carry for me. What happened was one of the caddies that day, um, you know, he, he came out and carried for me this, uh, one of the caddies down there. And he said, look, there's, an Irish bar right across from where you're staying and it was St. Patrick's Day and it was my first day playing Seminole and the caddies he, he said him and a couple of a couple of other caddies were going to go for a few drinks at an Irish bar across the road there you go and uh I you know I was prepared to just sit in my hotel room for for the remainder of the night but um but, then you're, I, but, you're, I went over. but you're of age you're over 21 years old <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh but no I, I just went over and just met them they were just sitting down at a table outside and uh there was three or four of them talking and I, I just sat down and had a drink or two with them. And, uh, 
I, I actually saw the the um what's it called over here the it's, the face cover ca- I guess what it's called call it? like a neck gaiter is kind of what they call it okay a, ga- a gaiter that's what they call it yeah I saw it on him and I said wait now there's no way what's where did you get one of those how come you got one and I didn't and uh, <laughs> we just got talking about it and then he uh, I think he sent you a, a photo of me afterwards and uh, I think you put two and two together and I was like oh my gosh yeah <laughs> yeah no the, the, those guys are fun though those guys are are good to be around so all the caddies in there seem awesome yeah they're they're gonna be rolling around there during the walker cup and it's gonna add completely yeah. add to the uh, to the flavor so um uh, one of the i guess this is one of probably the the highlights of your collegiate career is winning the byron nelson award which is a combination of you know your your performance on the golf course and your performance in the classroom and you get this award and it's going to provide you with a sponsor's exemption to the Byron Nelson, which I believe is just a week or two after the Walker Cup. Yeah, I've actually, uh, I've, I've actually decided. So they gave me the option to play it as a professional if I wanted to in 2022. Okay. So I'm actually, I'm actually going to take up that that invitation in 2022 instead, um, because you know, with everything going on in May, you know, with the Clash of Regionals and right. obviously with the Walker Cup, it just would have been a lot. And uh, you know, I've learned from my mistake of uh, poor scheduling, so. Um, it's certainly something that would probably benefit me more to play it as a professional and have that guaranteed start on the PGA Tour. Well, that uh, that definitely makes sense because I was curious how that was going to work out because, uh, yeah, May is going to be crazy. You have Walker Cup, you have regionals, national championship. I don't think you need to throw in a PGA Tour event uh, into that yeah. mix either, no. I mean, it'd be nice, but, I mean, the fact that I could get it to your after instead, I decided why yeah, not. Exactly. No, that makes perfect sense. Um all right, so tell me a little bit about before I let you go. Tell me a little bit about your. Um, tell me about the GBNI squad. Uh, I know that uh, you know two of the sessions are going to be singles, so you're got to be on your own, as you said. Um, but a couple of the other sessions are alternate shot. It's uh, it's for, foursomes. So uh, you know who do you know on your team very well? I know there's a lot of guys that play here in the states, but tell me a little bit. Tell the listeners a little bit about the GBNI squad. And maybe who you're looking forward to, um, you know, playing some golf with. Not to say that you're going to be definitely paired up together, but give me a few names that uh, that you're looking forward to seeing there at Seminole. So a funny one is that I think the first ever event I played back home in Ireland, it was certainly one of the first, if not the first, was uh, and it's a very small event called Monster Under 15s, and uh, I I stood up on the first tee in a course called McCroom, down in West Cork, and it was. Myself, a guy that I was that, that was at my home club, and Mark Power, who was a young thirteen-year-old kid, you know, turning heads at the time, probably hit it about one eighty off the tee, but I, I'd say he wasn't too far from the lead um, in that tournament. And yeah, ever, ever since then, you know, I've kind of kept in touch with Mark, you know, growing up through the years until I finally found myself on an Irish team when I was eighteen, and you know, Mark was only sixteen at the time, but he'd already been on the Irish team for a few years. And the very first time that I am. Um, that I played a foursomes, or maybe it wasn't the first time, but certainly one of the first times I played a foursomes game for Ireland was with Mark, and I kind of kept him as my partner, and we, uh, we, we've had some some good experiences playing foursomes together, so certainly he's, you know, somebody who I'd definitely be interested in teeing it up with, and, you know, we get on great, he's he's a lot of fun to be around, I think we have very similar personalities, and we, and we play golf very similarly, so um, I'm just, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of sharing this experience with him, and and being with him on the team. Um, and then other than that, you know, I know, I know all the guys pretty well. Alex obviously is good, very good friends with Mark and they play together. So I know Alex pretty well at this point, you know, I stayed with him at the Jones cup and, and whatnot. And then all the other guys that play over here, I would have played with them at some point. And then even the guys from back home, 
um, bench mate I played with at the Jones Cup. He's he's a really nice kid and a really good player. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do during the Walker Cup. Um, and then yeah, I, I suppose everybody pretty much I've played with at some point. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of team chemistry there. You know, everybody on the team seems or is is a very uh, very fun to be around. And um, yeah, I, I think the team will have a great week and, and a great experience. And I think we'll gel really well together. Well, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. As I said, I mean, I, I truthfully don't, uh, I, I guess you're right on paper, uh, just by looking, if you just want to look at Wagger, then yeah, I guess GB and I is an underdog, but man, Seminole Golf Club in May, first time the Walker Cup's been contested in the United States in the spring and in the state of Florida. So I, I don't know what to expect. So John, um, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been it's been a lot of fun watching you play and getting to know you at uh, the events that I've seen you at. I, I mean, we went the whole episode without talking about how cold Merido was. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> I mean, we were able to. We I'm so proud that we didn't. You know, and we're not even going to get into it because we're not doing that. Yeah. Why would you, Why would you start now? We're not going to ruin it. No, we're not going to ruin anything. But um, but uh, congrats again on making uh, the Walker Cup or making the GBNI squad for the Walker Cup. And congrats on honestly a a phenomenal journey. I mean, not just what you've done at Louisville, but you're starting the game and just, I love the fact that you hit upon learning from mistakes and how you really turned things around and, and made the most out of your talent. And, uh, it sounds to me that you're only going to get better. So I will see you in a few weeks at Seminole and, uh, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you very much, Ben. I've sent you a, I've sent you a GB, GB and I top in the polls. So looking forward <laughs> to seeing you later in Seminole. You got it, man. And there you have it. Special thanks to John Murphy for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, especially leading into the matches at Seminole. You can catch up on all the previous episodes by going to our website, thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time for another episode here at the Back of the Range.